Good morning. Good morning. Oh, jeez. You knew it. I was just waiting for that to happen. Jeez, come on. Come on. We're in a mini-series. We're looking at Colossians 2, 13 through the fourth verse of chapter 3. And Paul talks about the cross and its significance and what God accomplished is there. If you lived in the first century, you'd remember the first time you saw someone crucified. It would be something you'd never forget. It would be burned on your consciousness. Punishment by crucifixion was done in an open space, just to make sure that plenty of people could see. It was done that way because it was a deterrent, more than a way to balance the scales of justice. It, um, it was a way to crush any resistance to Roman authority. The reason, I think, that's probably part of the reason why the cross is such an object of horror and why it generates such crossed signals. It's associated with fear, obligation, and guilt. And when you think of it, the cross is a really strange symbol for religious faith. It's like wearing the golden model of a guillotine around your neck. Uh, significantly, when Paul talks about the cross, and he'll do so as we We'll look tonight, and we looked last Sunday, and again on this um, couple days from now on Easter. When Paul talks about the cross, he spares us the grisly details. He just doesn't talk about the grisly part of it that much. He transforms it from an object of horror to an object of wonder. He writes, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, talks about the condition that the cross has to deal with, and it describes us as dead in trespasses and sins. And when it says dead in trespasses and sins, this is an appending decision. It's a foregone conclusion. And this is what the cross has to deal with. It has to meet the needs of people who have already been found to be dead in trespasses and sins. So when you look at that, it indicates to us that our problem isn't that eternal death is ahead of us. That's Our problem and the thing the cross has to deal with is a little more stark than that. Our problem is that eternal death is already behind us. The problem isn't that spiritual death is in our future. The problem is that spiritual death is in our past. And there's only one then thing that the cross can do for us. Allows us to be raised from the dead spiritually. That's what it's got to do. Um, we need a resurrection, not a reformation. And this is the significance of the cross. It says God made us alive together with him. 
people who are dead in trespasses and sins, from the perspective of God, what the cross and the resurrection is about, people who are dead in trespasses and sins being raised with his son to life. Um, the resurrection is visual, historical evidence from God that he has granted to those who are dead in sin to be given spiritual life. It says God made alive together with him those dead in trespasses, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. A record of debt is something that each of us have. That's what it describes here. And it's a record of commandment violations. Some of these books, these records of commandment violations, they're going to be maybe on the thinner side for some of us. For some of us, they're going to be on the thicker side. All of us have a book. And it has commandment violations in it. And what it describes here, that God forgave our sins, and how he did that is he took this record of debt and blotted out the entries. A number of different ways that you did that in those days. Ink was water-soluble. If there was a record, sometimes you just pour water on it. In our day, you erase it or you put white out on it. The, the, the thing that, that happens, though, is the entries, the record of commandment violation, gone. And not just that, but this record is nailed to the cross with its blank pages flapping in the breeze. That's what God has done. He nailed the indictment to the cross, emptied of content. And that's how he forgives us our trespasses. Um, it goes on to indicate that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The rulers and authorities, it describes the angelic beings who represented God to men before Jesus did. Jesus stood in the background in the Old Testament. It was predicted that he would come. And that was really good news. Um, angels were the ones who were charged with administering Old Covenant law. And at the, as of the cross, it indicates he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He stripped them of their authority, and he's talking about angels. We're no longer under the authority of angels. They've been removed by the king, forced to step aside so that the Son of God could come. Now, we talk about angels. Angels aren't evil. They're not evil. They do what they're supposed to do. Their influence isn't good, though. Their influence isn't good. You say, what do you mean, Mike? What it indicates is that angels are pretty justice-based. When Moses described what was going to happen when the angel accompanied them, he says, you better not rebel. The angels won't forgive your rebellion. Angels are very justice-based. They are unembodied spirit beings. They don't get what it's like to be in a body. They don't understand conflict. They don't understand dividedness. Angels are strong because they are focused. There's nothing that gets in the way of them doing what they intend to do. Now, you and I don't have that luxury. 
We are spirit beings in mortal bodies, and these two operating systems pull us in different directions so that we don't do what we want. If we get pulled this way, we want to do this. If we get pulled this way, we want to do that. Angels don't get that, and so they're not bad. They just can't sympathize with us, but Jesus can. Remember what he came? He came as a spirit, entered into a woman. We don't know how that works, but he did. And then, having united with that body, like you and I do, did he ever leave it? When he was raised, was he raised just as a spirit, leaving the body behind, or was he raised bodily? Bodily. Once he united with the body, he never left it. He's one of us. That's why he sympathizes with us. And again, I want to point out, I, I kind of blew up angels, I think, a little bit last week. Just several people had some questions. Mike, hey, what's the deal? I mean, angels, they're, they're fluffy. You know, the, the angels on the wings, and, and they're really good. And, and angels are okay. They're just not merciful. And they do what they're told. And they never question like people. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Angels are scary. Whenever an angel shows up, they have a sword in their hand, oftentimes in the Bible, and people die because they transgress commandments. Fear begets fear. Fear does not beget love. Love begets love. This is the mechanism for forgiveness. Old covenant infractions erased and nailed to the cross. Old covenant custodians removed. This is how God forgave our sins. And he did these things and then raised us with Christ. The cross announces God's decision to give eternal spiritual life to those dead in trespasses and sins. How do we know that it is God's intention to give eternal life to people dead in trespasses and sins. How do we know that? On Easter, Jesus rose. That's God's visual evidence of the successful accomplishment of his purposes, to raise people dead in sin to life in Christ. Um, so what? So what? Okay, so we died with Christ. That's good news. Good news. Um, look what it says. It goes on to talk about um, what, what this means. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you because you've died with Christ and raised with him. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't let anybody judge you when you mow your lawn on Sunday. That's kind of what it's indicating. Now, again, I'm not saying mow your lawn on Sunday. Some of you have hesitations with that. It's a way you honor God. Okay. What Paul is telling to them you're not going to be loved anymore if you don't mow your lawn on Sunday. 
And you're not going to be loved any less if you do. Um, he's saying, don't let anybody judge you. Don't let them throw penalty flags. And don't let them stick. You know why? Because you were already dead in trespasses and sins, and you're already, and you, in Christ, God wants you to know you've been raised. Um, the Colossian believers were being criticized for their disregard of Jewish dietary rules. They ate pork, and they disregarded holy day regulations, and people were throwing penalty flags. And it's not hard to understand why. Because uh, they, Jews and Christians use the same Bible. And you can see how the lines would get blurred. That's all they had was the 39 books of the Old Testament. That's what they had. That's the Bible that they had. And so the Old Testament requires dietary restrictions and observances of festivals and Sabbath. Questions of food and drink are Old Testament dietary regulations. There's stuff that you couldn't eat. A bunch of stuff you couldn't eat if you were devoted enough. Not just questions of food and drink. There were festivals and new moon or Sabbath. This was a way, a regular Jewish way of speaking of the main festivals of the Jewish religion. What it's talking about are the things that are talked about in the Old Testament that you're supposed to do. And what Paul indicates here is that that is not binding on this side of the cross. So as we are wont to say, if somebody throws a penalty flag at you for those things, you go off by a covenant. Off by a covenant. Um, it said, Paul said, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It seems to say the commandments are to Christ was what a shadow is to the person who casts it. The commandments are to Christ what a shadow is for the person who casts it. You, you can kind of see my shadow a little bit. Now, if the shadow was the only thing you had, it would make sense to look at it, wouldn't it? If I'm way over there and there's a light and you can't see me and, and there's a shadow, you can say some things, you can see some things with a shadow, but if I'm standing here, it doesn't make much sense to focus on the shadow, does it? The shadow Jesus casts from the future to the past is reflected, if you think of a light coming from the future, shines on Jesus' shadow. That shadow is the law, the old covenant. What it's saying these regulations about eat this, don't eat that, go to this thing, don't go to that thing. It's talking about Sabbaths, too, the holy day. And those things are to Jesus what a shadow is to me. And if I'm here, don't look at my shadow. Don't look at my shadow. Look at me. You can see my face. Don't look at those commandments. Jesus has a face. He's the one that reveals and reflects God. That's what Paul is indicating. Now that Jesus had come in person, we're no longer to focus on Jesus' shadow. Why would people be persuaded to accept obligations like these? Why do we do that? 
How do we get pulled into that? Um, there were those in Colossae who were devoted to these expressions and they were arguing convincingly that their spiritual lives were immeasurably richer as a result. Here's what they were saying. I'll tell you what. I am really careful about not eating the things the Old Testament says not to eat and I'll tell you what it is. I never get indigestion. It is just wonderful. It just flows right through. It's just, okay. <laughs> and did I tell you how wonderful it is when I celebrate the festivals? It's like he's right there. And then these individuals who, you know, they're scratching their head and they're, they're thinking, well, that sounds pretty good. It's not... They weren't saying, these individuals, that, so I'm one of these people, I do all these things, and you are the ones, you don't know, you, but you've kind of seen it. You've become Christians, and you've seen the Old Testament. You weren't raised with it, so you don't really understand it. Um, but so what they're being told, it's not that your way is bad, okay? My way is better. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's that because I'm devoted, he loves me a little bit more. It's not that God doesn't accept you. It's that he accepts me a little bit more. We can understand the appeal of testimonies like this, can't we? You ever turn on the religious channels? People talk about, I got this thing and everything went spiritually. You know, you get the little... Vial of holy water, and then you dump it on stuff, and it works. And, and you you put your hand on the screen, and all kinds of things happen. And, and you know, when you look at those things, you start to wonder. Boy, I tell you what, I wonder if that would happen to me. We are looking for ways to be on a fast track spiritually. That's it's natural. It's and that's what these individuals are buying into. Um, and Paul issues a stern warning, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going into detail about vision. Let me tell you what asceticism means. It's when you say, you know what, it's like what I did growing up. I, you have to find something during Lent that you wouldn't eat. You know, and that's, I was raised Roman Catholic, and so some of you understand this. And, and there's some people that, you know, they gave up, Brussels sprouts. You know, yeah, I gave up Brussels sprouts for one. Uh, some people, you know, more devoted, I gave up water for Lent. And because I gave up water, can, did I tell you how wonderful it felt to give up water for Lent and how reviving it was for me? And and that oh hey let's try that Let, you know and so that's kind of the way it feels that's that's what was happening asceticism it's that they were they were they really were devoted they were saying we're so devoted we're not going to eat and so asceticism and the worship of angels and what that seems to be is that it was the sense that you know what if you and again I'm going to let you in on a secret okay I'm going to let you uninitiated ones in. Uh, if you really are devoted, are you listening to me? 
you can worship God like angels do. And it's almost that you're right there with them. In fact, sometimes you might even be able to hear their voice. Sometimes you get so lost in worship, no kidding, it will almost seem like you can see the divine like they do. But of course, it's going to cost you some devotion to be able to get to <laughs> that level of spirituality. And if you're sitting there and you don't feel all that good about your spiritual life, is that going to appeal to you? Might you be tempted to ratchet up your devotion, to fast-track your spirituality? You know, the answer is, yes, you would. Yes, you would. And um, recently they found um, this copy of Songs of the Sabbath Sacrifice. And it's this collection of songs that you had to sing in the first 13 Sundays of the Jewish calendar year. And it was said that these are the songs that angels sing. And guess what? For a small price of $19.99, you can have your own copy of Songs for the Sabbath Sacrifice. And, and if you will do the thing, you can... Worship God like the angels do. Mm. Paul talks about the accounts of those who enter into these spiritual states, and they, they really believe they did. They had stirring testimonies. And we would, and he warns them, don't give in to it. And here's the question. And what in the world's wrong with this? It's not like they're telling them to do bad things. These aren't bad things. They're telling them to do good things. Here's what Paul says. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. Going into great deal about visions. Puffed up without reasons by his sensuous mind. Sensuous is not sexual. It's what I smelled, what I saw, what I heard. I saw these things. Heavenly things. It says, and not holding to the fast, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Paul warns them, don't let anybody disqualify you. In taking the fast track, they would be forced off the track. That's what he says to them. It's a strong statement. Don't let anybody deprive you for the prize. Don't give in. If they allowed themselves to be persuaded, they would actually not only halt their progress, but forfeit it. It's an appeal that's easy to buy into. God loves you, right? And he'll love you even more if... And they're filling in the blanks with expressions, signature expressions of Jewish devotion. If you fast, if you don't eat this, if you don't drink this, if you do this festival, if you do that festival, if you do this moon and this Sabbath. Now, we don't do things like that. We don't do things like that. In our time, spiritual disciplines are different. God loves you. And he'll love you even more if you pray not 10 minutes a day, but 20. 
I'm not saying don't pray 20 minutes a day. I'm saying that if you pray 20 minutes a day, God's not going to love you anymore because God's acceptance of you has nothing to do with what you did and what you do. It has to do with what Christ did on the cross. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive with Christ. And that's why we're accepted. And you can't be any more accepted than that. In fact, when you try, you know what ends up happening? Your spiritual life starts to dissipate in striving after these things. You know what actually happens? In your mind, distance. It might feel good for the first one or two times, but you know what ends up happening? The law of diminishing returns. You always have to do a little bit more, a little bit more. That's what Paul's warning them about. When we attempt to use spiritual disciplines to improve on what God accomplished on the cross, we make the same mistake they made. We're attempting to add what Jesus did on the cross. If God made us alive together with Christ when we were dead in sin, you know what that means? If he made us alive together with Christ, what's true of Christ is true of us. Relative to the Father. Now, what do you say? What do you mean, Mike? What do you mean? Make ask a question. Anything Jesus could do to be closer to the Father? Any obedience that he missed? If what's true of Jesus is true of you because you've been raised with him? If what's true of Jesus is true of you because you've been raised with him? Is there anything you can do to be closer to the Father? No, in God's eyes, what's true of Jesus is true of you. Is there anything Jesus could do to more firmly secure a place with God in heaven? Anything he missed? Anything he left out? If what's true of Jesus is true of you, is there anything you can do to more firmly secure a place with the Father in heaven? Anything you can do? No, it's true. Jesus is true of you if you're raised with him. Anything Jesus could do to be more loved by the Father? Anything he missed? Any devotion that he skirted? If what's true of Jesus is true of you, is there anything you can do to be more loved by the Father? No. What's true of Jesus is true of you. You say, how, what, how? Because when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. And what's true of Jesus is true of us. What's left for us to do? What's left for us to do? What's left for us to do? Try to enter into the worship of angels? Maybe that will give me a leg up? No. You know what you have to do? Believe it. Believe it. You're hearing it. This is the gospel. 
is going to be all kinds of people talking about the significance of the cross and how God beat his son. It's not true. God raised his son so that you could know his intent to grant eternal life to you who and me who are dead in trespasses and sins. Because if you start to believe it, you know what will start to happen? You start to relax with him. You start to relax with him. And um, can you improve on your connection with God? I'm going to ask you, can you improve? And again, you know, you've heard me, but I want you to think about it because we, we really instinctively believe that we can. But I'm going to ask you again. I want you to answer me. If you were raised with Christ when you were dead in trespasses and sins, is there anything you can do to improve your connection with God? What's the answer? What's the answer? What? No, there is not. No, there is not. Here's the, here's the challenge. How would it change your faith in God if you believed it? You could not be more loved. You could not be closer. You could not be more accepted because it was in because of what Christ did that is offered. Um, you know what communion is? Communion is uh, celebrating the truth of the fact that what's true of Jesus is true of us. We take his body and blood inside. It's really a good image. We take his body and blood inside. It's kind of a representation. Me and Jesus are kind of sharing. We share one another's experience. Died with him, raised with him, accepted with him. That's what communion's about. So you know what I want you to do? I want you to. We're going to have a song, and once you to get the the bread. And the juice, you know what I want you to think of as you're taking that? This is what I want you to think. Till I've been raised with Christ, there's nothing I can do to be more accepted by him. Nothing I can do to be more loved by him. Nothing I can do to have a more secure place. Thank him for that. Thank him for the cross. Sometime during, and then I won't tell you when to take the elements, take them, and then we'll close us with a song. And we'll finish this on Sunday. He says some neat things. Okay. Dear Father, we just want to say thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you that the deal is closed. There's no way to improve it. There's no way to destroy it. What you've done is forever. And help us to remain and help us to trust and help us to believe what you've told us in the scriptures. We're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.